Today on this edition of the Four City Church Podcast, campus pastor Trevor McDonald continues the Sunday School series with a message titled, How to Repair Damaged Relationships. Good morning, Four City Church. That, thank you. I got two people that said back to me. Good morning, Four City Church. You guys feeling good? It's a gorgeous day. Uh, we don't get a lot of those here in the Midwest, so you better embrace them. And it's Labor Day weekend, so uh, we got to get ready for that as well. Um, I'm excited. This series, Sunday School, is uh, such a fun little series because we get to look back at like... I don't know, pillar stories within the Bible that maybe if you grew up in Sunday school, I did not grow up in Sunday school. I didn't even grow up in church. So it was like these stories were new to me in my like teenage years. But these are the stories that they would kind of share, whether that's in kids ministries or things like that. And did anybody grow up in Sunday school? Can we just like show of hands? You grew up going to Sunday school. You grew up with these stories. You know, Moses parting the Red Sea, and you see, you know, stories where fire comes from heaven, uh, all these different moments. Well, there's a story in the Bible, and there's a man in the Bible in the very first book uh, of Genesis, and it's actually one of my very favorite stories and one of my favorite characters, and I thought I'd read you a little bit about about his life from the God Loves Me Bible. It says, for ages two through four, I think we all qualify Can I do that? Can I read this? Okay. It's a long story, guys, so just bear with me here for the next four seconds. Okay, this is Joseph. Story of Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 through 50. We hear about this man named Joseph. It's one of the sons of Jacob. Ready? This is great. You guys are going to learn everything in these seven lines. Joseph was a special boy. He had a very colorful coat. He had very exciting dreams, but Joseph's brothers didn't like him. They sent Joseph far from home, but God kept Joseph safe. He made Joseph a great man in Egypt. God loved Joseph. The end. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next Sunday. Also, I know you guys can't see this, but here's Joseph in his colorful coat, and then there's apparently a puppy. So Joseph either had a puppy or his brothers had a puppy, but his brothers were mad. Anyways, that's the story of Joseph. This is what we're going to talk about today is this man named Joseph. Like I said, his story is recorded in Genesis 37 through 50. I'm not going to read all those chapters today. I'm going to attempt to summarize the story quickly, but then pull out something that I think we may have overlooked. I know I've overlooked within the Joseph story. Joseph was, like I said, one of the sons of Jacob. Uh, at this time, he would have been the 11th son. And uh, at 17, he has this dream. Everyone know about Joseph's dream, right? He has this amazing dream. Uh, he is called a dreamer, as you've heard maybe many times in Sunday school. He has this dream that ultimately his brothers and his father will bow down to him. Now, he got really excited about this dream, as any teenage boy might. He's like, hey, y'all are going to bow down to me. Cool, right? I don't know if that's going to go over well for anybody. You guys are going to bow to me. I'm going to rule over you. This is just a dream I had. I, I can't, you know, this is just what happened. So then his brothers get pretty upset. Jacob, his, his father, was upset as well. But it does say in Scripture that Jacob loved his son Joseph so much that he gave him this beautiful, colorful coat. Does everyone know about the Technicolor dream coat? They made a Broadway play about this thing, right? 
So he's wearing this fancy coat. His brothers do not like him, as we read in the Amazing Children's Bible. And uh, he has this dream. There comes a day where his father asks him to go to the field where his brothers are. His brothers, because they didn't like him, because they hated Joseph, they said, hey, what we should do is we should kill our, our brother Joseph. Some, some serious stuff in Scripture. So instead of killing him, Reuben, the oldest brother, says, hey, what if we just put him in this pit? I don't think we should kill him. That's a bad idea. So he goes in this pit. Again, summarizing the story of Joseph as quick as I can. Then Joseph is thrown into a pit. Then he is sold into slavery. He is sold to a man named Potiphar. Potiphar uh, puts him as a servant in his household. And then Potiphar's wife kind of likes Joseph. I don't know if, you know, she had a thing for him. So there's this sexual tension that's in scripture. Don't judge me. This is truly happening. And uh, Joseph sees that this is taking place. Joseph, or Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with Joseph. It's all in the Bible, guys. It's really great. Okay. And then Joseph runs from the temptation, yet Potiphar's wife grabs his clothes and he runs out without a shirt on or whatever's left. Okay. This is in scripture. Now, we could talk about that. Maybe that's, you know, like run and flee from temptation. That could be a, that could be a message in our Sunday school series. After that, he's, a, he's falsely accused of wanting to sleep with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's upset. What does Potiphar do? Throws, throws Joseph in prison. Man, Joseph's had a rough life. He goes from the pit. Now he's in prison. Sold into slavery. Now he's in prison. And while he's in prison there for a few years, there's these two individuals that are thrown into prison with them who work for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. They both have dreams. Joseph knows how to interpret these dreams. He tells them what the dreams mean. Eventually, one of these servants are able to be let loose out of prison. And he goes back to his spot as the cupbearer for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. This is what Joseph says. He says, hey, don't forget about me. And what happens? Two years go by, and he is forgotten. Okay, so this is Joseph's life. Are we all following? We all get what's happening here? Joseph goes from the pit into being sold into slavery, and now he's in prison, and now he's forgotten. He was falsely accused. All these things are taking place. And then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, has a dream. He has a dream, and then the cupbearer remembers there's a man in prison while I was there that can interpret your dream. So they go get Joseph, they clean him all up, and they bring him out of prison, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream, the king of Egypt, the most powerful part of the world at the time, right? Most powerful man in the world. The dream was this is that the land would go through seven years of abundance. After the seventh year, you will go through seven years of famine. And this is what uh, Pharaoh is told by Joseph. Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph, he puts Joseph in charge of all the land. Joseph went from the pit to the prison, being falsely accused, and now he's in the palace, and now he's ruling Egypt alongside Pharaoh. And we could talk about so many different things there. There's a lot going on. But here's what takes place in Genesis chapter 42. Joseph sees his brothers for the first time in almost 22 years. Remember the brothers who hated him, who told their father that he was killed and they had him sold into slavery all these years. It comes to this point in Genesis 42 where Joseph is faced with the reality of having to forgive his brothers. And this is what we're going to talk about today, this idea of forgiveness, this concept of restoring broken relationships, relationships where maybe trust has been completely destroyed, 
And we are faced with this reality of what do I do now with this? So that's what we're gonna talk about today when it comes to the story of Joseph. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this time that we get to gather. It's time where we can look into your word and we can pull out certain things that uh, we can be encouraged by, inspired by, and challenged by. And I pray as we talk about this topic today of forgiveness and as triggering as it may be, I, I ask you to open up our hearts and our minds in a new way so we can see who you are and what it is that, God, you're up to in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, um, does everyone, anyone remember the TV show Hoarders? Remember Hoarders or Hoarders Buried Alive? This was like a phenomenon uh, uh, a long time ago. It actually ran for like 12 seasons, okay? Hoarders, if you haven't seen it, I don't know what you were doing the last 15 years, but there was, it was basically they would follow these individuals that would uh, live in these homes and they would hoard all this different stuff and they uh, would live in these unbelievable uh, situations where they would go in and they would eventually talk with these people. They would uh, have therapists come in and, and psychiatrists and things like that, and they would ask them, you know, where did this start, and how to clean up their life, all these different things. So here, here, actually, let's do this. I got a couple pictures. This is kind of what, this is what a hoarder would look like. Um, They would have so many different things stored up in their, that's actually her microwave, people. This is where somehow she microwaved her her meals. Okay, next picture. Um, This is their kitchen, and this is how they lived. Thanks. Um, I'm getting nothing over here, guys. Come on, you got to talk with me. So this is, you know, they wore masks back then too, so it's fine. Um, but this is like, they would go into these people's homes and they would help them out. They would clean up the homes, they would talk to them, and then they would begin to kind of solve where the root issue was. I remember in particular one of the stories uh, of one of these guys that were uh, on the show. And they began to like talk to him and they began to help him through this process of cleaning up his home but also cleaning up like his mental mess because there's so many different things connected to this idea of hoarding it became uh, claimed to be a mental disorder, all these different things. And I thought it was so interesting because they would talk about how this guy, he was so unaware of the mess that he was living in. He was actually explaining how unaware he was that he actually created a pathway in his home, how to get to basically the toilet and the kitchen and then to where he would sleep. He, he, he would create this little maze in his own home because he became so unaware of how much was piling on around him. And then when psychiatrists would come in and doctors would come in and actually begin to help with this disorder that he had, they said, hey, not only are you unaware of this stuff and we're trying to help you bring awareness, but this stuff where you're living is actually killing you. Why am I telling you this story of hoarders? In a lot of ways, I think when it comes to our lives, there are things in our lives, whether that's bitterness or rage or anger or unforgiveness, that we get to a certain point in life that we are so unaware that it's actually living around us to the point that it actually has a potential to suck the life out of our soul. And it's killing us. And this is what we see in this story of Joseph. Like I mentioned, it was 13 years before he finally gets into this position of power. And he, it's almost like this rags to riches story. I mean, he went from pit to falsely accused to the prison. And then he begins to get into the palace. And it's like, yay, Joseph. This is awesome. He's in power. He's ruling. But then 22 years go by and he sees his brothers who he may have never thought he'd ever see again. The ones that basically put him in this position to go through all the hell that he had to walk through. 
He now sees his brothers for the first time in 22 years. He's in power. He can kind of do whatever he wants, doesn't he? Or can he? Yeah, what does Joseph do? Joseph responds with revenge and bitterness. Here's a few things that Joseph actually does. Joseph hides his identity from his brothers. His brothers do not recognize him, yet Joseph recognized them. He hides who he is. He pretends to be someone else to his own brothers. And then what does he do? He actually begins to falsely accuse them of being spies. He puts false accusations onto his brothers. I wonder where he got that idea. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And then what does he do? He takes one of his his brothers, Simeon, and he puts him in captivity. He puts Simeon in prison. I, I wonder where that idea came from. Joseph was once thrown into prison. So you can see Joseph is really struggling here, isn't he? He's really struggling with this idea of facing his brothers where he's beginning to replay the things that were done to him. He's putting that upon his brothers. Are you following So the things that he experienced, he's actually now saying, hey, you're going to experience the same thing that I did. The pain that you put me through, I'm going to put you through. Why is Joseph struggling so much? Why is this such a struggle for him? You want to know why? Because forgiveness is difficult. This is one of the hardest things that you and I will do for the rest of our lives. It's at the core of the human experience and the human condition, this concept that that trust can be broken amongst people that we love or people that we've experienced life with. Trust has been completely shattered and broken. So what do we do? Man, I'm telling you, we struggle with this thing, don't we? Forgiving other people, those who have hurt us, those who have wrongly accused us, those who have said things and done things that we now have to carry for the rest of our lives. Joseph is struggling because... This is a battle. This is going to be one of the hardest things that we do in our walk. And yet, it is essential. Forgiveness is essential to those who are followers of Jesus. You can almost say it's a distinguishing quality of an actual believer. Why is that? Because the gospel story at the absolute center and core of it is this idea, this concept of forgiveness. What's the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus Christ died for our sins, our mistakes, our shortcomings. He lends his forgiveness towards you. The debt has been completely paid by Jesus Christ so that we receive his forgiveness and that we live as agents of forgiveness the rest of our lives. This is the gospel. But here's here's the trick. The gospel ceases to be the gospel if it stops with you. Let me say it again. The gospel ceases to be the gospel if it stops with you. The gospel message has to what? Go through us. So let's take a pause on Joseph's life and let's look at Jesus. Jesus in Matthew 6 is giving the Sermon on the Mount, this long sermon of all these different things. And he comes to this uh, point of his sermon of prayer. We're going to read this part on the screens. We call it the Lord's Prayer. And this is what he says he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching you and me what it looks like to pray. And he says this, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, verse 12 is the part I want to look at here for a quick second. Forgive us our debts 
as we also have forgiven our debtors. Jesus, at the core of his prayer, the one he's teaching you and me, he's saying, ask for your sins, your debts to be forgiven as you forgive those who have sinned against you. So at the center of Jesus' teaching just about prayer, he's saying, you ask for forgiveness, but then you need to forgive. So this idea of debtors, other translations, what does it say? It says trespasses, those who have trespassed against us. This word trespasses is also converted to the word transgressions, those who have transgressed or sinned against us. Lord, would you forgive my transgressions as I forgive those who have trespassed against me? This word trespasses or transgressions is also defined as those who I have had trust be broken. There's been trust that is broken between me and another individual. That is what this word is saying. So Jesus is teaching us, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our transgressions. Yes, that sounds good. But the caveat is this, as we also have forgiven those who have broken trust with me. It's an essential part of our walk with Jesus, isn't it? The story goes on 6, 14 and 15 says this in Matthew. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. That sounds great. Here's the the part we don't really teach a lot. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. That is uncomfortable. That's like the moment you get up in church and you leave. (laughs) Because you're like, no, 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 no. You don't know what they did. I'm not going to, I want my forgiveness, but lending it out. Oh, man. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. You can keep this on the screen for just a minute. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Here's what I believe is taking place. In Matthew 18, Peter asks Jesus this question. Hey, how often do we forgive people? Is it like seven times? And Peter's really struggling as well. He's like, is it like seven? I can do seven. I mean, maybe, you know, six, but okay, another one, seven. I get it. Eight is way too much, but seven I can do. And Jesus is like, Peter, you're so sweet. Um, it's actually seven times 70. That's how many times you should forgive. Now, what Jesus is not saying is you need to forgive people 490 times. Because, listen, we have forgiven people probably 490 times every day for those who've, like, really, really hurt us. He's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is that this concept, this idea of seven is the number of completion. And Jesus overemphasizes with the number 70. So Jesus says, not only are you to forgive seven times complete forgiveness, but you're also to overemphasize that forgiveness so that you would be a person that goes on a journey of forgiveness for the rest of your life. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, that you would determine and make the decision to say, every single day I'm going to walk in forgiveness. I'm going to walk this thing out where it says, but if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's, it's asking you and I to say, but every single day would you forgive those who have hurt you or at least go on the journey of discovering what it looks like to forgive those people who have done you wrong where trust has been broken, where they have trespassed against you. Now, going back to the story of Joseph, we see the climax of this story. In Genesis chapter 45, I'm going to read it. This is what takes place after all these things, after being vengeful towards his brothers, falsely accusing them, throwing Simeon in, in jail, the struggle that Joseph is having He's gone through some time now. He's gone through some months of dealing with this 
emotion of how do I forgive? And remember, he's in power. He's the boss. He, he can do anything he wants. Joseph could put them all in prison. He could reveal himself and be like, hey, it's me. Remember me? Yeah. You're all going to jail. <laughs> he could take them out right there on the spot, but this is what he does. Genesis 45, one through five says this. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. All of Joseph's attendants are right there in this room, and he sends all of them out because he is overwhelmed on what to do next, and it's just him and his brothers. Look at this part. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Goes on to say, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent ahead of you. So Joseph uncontrollably sends out everybody and then he weeps in front of his brothers. Dr. Edith Egger, who's a uh, doctor in psychology and she specializes in uh, trauma therapy and those who have experienced post-traumatic stress, she's a Holocaust survivor, a 93-year-old who was in Auschwitz camp and she survived Auschwitz. She talks about in her biography, she talks about in these interviews where everyone uh, in her family was executed other than her and her sister. And she experienced the, the most degrading pain that any human would go through. And then when she was finally out, she migrates here to America and she begins to actually go through her doctorate degree in, in psychology. And she has this idea to go back to Auschwitz's concentration camp. And she tells her sister and her sister says, you're crazy. And she said, I probably am, but I have to go back into the lion's den. I have to go back into the hell that I experienced. I have to see it for myself. And this is the reason why she did this. And this is a lot of part of the practice that she would have is that she came from that situation. She said, you cannot heal what you do not feel. Going back into the worst place of her entire life, she begins to put this into practice within her own patients and those who have struggled through trauma, those who have experienced so much post-traumatic stress, she would encourage them, you cannot feel, you cannot heal what you do not feel. And we see here with Joseph, he is feeling all the pain. 22 years of it, 22 years of it continuing to haunt him that maybe he never thought he'd actually see this moment take place and he has to feel all of it. She talks about this idea that we need to heal by those things that we actually feel. I remember years ago, I had knee surgery and I tore my ACL, my MCL and my meniscus. So I got my whole knee repaired. And then you have to go to like six to nine months of rehab. Now rehab is the worst, but you have to go through it so you can actually heal on the other end. 
And I remember there's times where I'd feel the pain because they'd want my knee to stretch in certain ways that it was just not really ready, but the doctors obviously trusted the process and I had to like stretch this thing and, and go in different directions so it could heal properly because healing, what is it? It hurts, doesn't it? But it's necessary to feel the pain so then you are healed on the other end. You need to feel what needs to be healed. So we're going through these times where you have to experience moments of rehab. In other words, it's like you need to address the actual issue. It's like oftentimes what I do is I'll put band-aids over bullet holes. I just pretend, oh, it's fine. It's okay because I don't want to feel that thing. When I was a kid, I remember my, my mom would ask me to clean my room and if you have teenage kids, you know this is kind of usually what happens. You ask them to clean their rooms. And I would remember, I would go in there and I would pick up everything and I would put it in two different spaces. You remember these spaces? You put them in your closet or you go under the bed. I would hide everything in my closet or I'd hide everything under my bed. Now the question is, was my room cleaned? I and mean, if you walked in and be like, yeah, it looks good. It looks picked up. Until you opened up my closet or looked under my bed. But this is what I do in my own life. My life looks really nice and clean until you open up my closet and you look under my bed. Because there's things that I've hid. There's, there's things in my life that I don't want to address. There's things in areas that I don't want to look at. I don't want to feel that pain when someone broke trust with me. I don't want to address it. I don't want to go through it. But with Joseph, we see this process of having to experience that type of pain so that we're healed on the other side. The encouraging part of Joseph's story is we read it here in verse five. He comes to this point of having some perspective. What does he say? He says, now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. The reason I'm in the spot that I'm in, I've gained the perspective enough because God has allowed me to go through what I went through so that I could be here so I could save lives. And you need to fill in that blank. Why is it that you've gone through what you've gone through? Why did you experience that mistrust? Why did you experience that broken relationship? Why did you experience that divorce? Why did you experience that business deal that went down? I don't know what it is. But I know about the story of Joseph and Joseph has perspective after he forgives. Forgiveness came first. This process of devoting ourselves to forgiving those who have hurt us. And then perspective comes. Here's one last piece of insight in Joseph's story. That thing is interesting. It says this in 14 and 15 of chapter 45. It's me on the screen. He says this. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin his youngest brother, and he wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. Verse 15 says, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterward, his brothers talked with him. Why is this idea of talking so important in the Joseph story? Let's go to Genesis 37, verse four. It says this. When his brothers saw that their father loved him, loved Joseph, more than any of them, his brothers hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. 
So his brothers couldn't even speak to his brothers and yet into into Joseph. And yet all the way after 22 years, now they're all on what? Talking terms. They're talking. Joseph was hated by his brothers so much they couldn't even speak to him. And yet after 22 years going through this process, forgiveness, having perspective, now they're talking, weeping, kissing, hugging, holding one another. Restoration is possible. Here's what I'm not saying. I want you to catch this today. I'm not saying that that broken relationship will be fully restored by Christmas. I'm not saying your family dynamics is gonna be perfect by Thanksgiving. I'm not saying by the early next year, you have it all together, forgiveness is easy, and we're on talking terms today. Oh, it's amazing. What a great message. I wanna be like Joseph. <laughs> For you, And for me, it may be a 22-year journey. It may be a 22-day journey. It may be a journey that for the rest of your life, you're determined to be a person of forgiveness. You know, Dr. Edith Egger, she's quoted, she says, resentment and revenge is only a temporary satisfaction and forgiveness is the true freedom. So let me ask you this question. What would it look like for you and for me to be committed to this journey of forgiveness? What would it look like to be a person that commits, not gets it all right, doesn't mean you're not gonna feel anger and hurt and pain, all those emotions are gonna happen. Doesn't mean you keep, you you, you refuse to hide stuff in the closet or under the bed, that stuff's going to happen. But that we would commit to be people that say, I wanna go on the journey of forgiveness. And here's another truth to it. You and I, we are unable to do this thing alone. And asking for help is not a sign of weakness. What it is, is determined to be someone who doesn't give up. When you ask someone, hey, can you help me in this process of forgiving my mother or my sister or my friend or my business partner or my father who hurt me when I was young? Can you help me? It's not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of you saying, I'm not giving up on this process of forgiveness. So you may need a community. You may need a new friend or friends. Because I have found that I was speaking to friends about things that I was pained with, and they would just try to advise me. I don't need your advice, friend. I just need you to listen sometimes. Can you just sit with me as I just bear all the things I'm going through and let you know, and and can I weep in front of you? Can I cry in front of you? Can I hold you? Can I go through this anguishing process of trying to forgive? You may need a therapist, go through this process of getting help on that level. Most importantly, you need Jesus to walk with you in this season of forgiveness and ask him to help you. Pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Forgive my debts as I forgive those who've trespassed against me, as I forgive my debtors. Can I just tell you, every morning I go on a run or go on a walk, I'll pray that Lord's Prayer, and I stop at that part, and I begin to name the people who have hurt me. I forgive those who've trespassed against me. I forgive these people. Have I fully forgiven them? I don't know. Maybe, but I'm on this journey of learning what it looks like to forgive those 
where trust has been fully broken. So there's two paths that you and I take. Two questions that you and I can ask ourselves. One is, am I going to become a person who hoards bitterness, anger, and rage for the rest of my life? And I find myself in these homes where I'm unaware of the reckoning that's around me. Or the other path is this, is that we become people of forgiveness and freedom. Not perfect, but committed to this journey of forgiving those where trust has been broken. So here's what we're gonna do in the next few moments. The team's just gonna play. As you walked in, you got a note card and a pen. If you'd like to, you can pull that out. If you didn't get one, you can wave your hand and our our team's gonna come and just swing over to your seat and, and hand you one. I'm gonna walk you through this process and this is potentially very triggering for a few of us in the room, but there may be some healing that has to take place. And this is, again, like I said, it's a process. With the note card in your hand and the pen that you have, I'd ask for you to name the person or name the people who you need to forgive where trust has been broken. I'm not saying it's gonna happen today. I'm not saying you're gonna write them a fancy letter or give them a call on your way home. But you're naming this thing, you're naming this person to commit to saying, I'm willing to go on the journey of forgiving this person who's hurt me. And I've hoarded this bitterness and this rage and this anger for too long. And here's another thing I'd say is, do not write the name of that person if you have yet to cross that path or cross that line of saying, I'm willing to forgive. I'm not saying don't write their name. I'm saying if you're unwilling to do that, it's okay. Also, if writing that person's name is triggering something inside of you, do not write the name. Hold on to the card and whenever you're ready, write the person's name or the people's name or the place, whatever it was, whoever it is, but you're willing to take that step to say, I'm committing to the journey of forgiveness every single day. Amen? So in this moment, team's just gonna play. They're eventually gonna sing a song. In that moment, you guys can stand if you want to, if you're ready to, if you're done writing the name, and you're gonna keep that with you. And this week, and the next week, for the next several months, for the next several years of your life, you're saying, I'm gonna forgive this person. Let me pray for you as we go through this process together. Father, I ask you, to give us courage, to give us peace, to go through this process of naming the thing, naming the person who has hurt us, where we are hoarding this unforgiveness, this thing that is destroying us on the inside. We want to be a people of forgiveness and freedom. And like Joseph, as he experienced all that pain and he was responding with so much vengeance, I know a lot of us have done that and maybe we're doing it even now in our own minds. Help us to commit to this process, to this journey of forgiving other people. May it be the distinguishing quality of our own lives that we'd be people that live out the gospel message, to live out forgiveness to those. 
Help us in this moment. Help us in this time. We love you. We thank you that you're in this room. Your presence is here. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Trevor McDonald's message, How to Repair Damaged Relationships. Thanks for listening to the Forest City Church Podcast.